Hey everyone. Ah, so frustrating. Back on camera. This morning I thought we would be with you in person, but unfortunately uh, Finlay, our 10 month old, uh, picked up a high temperature overnight and was pretty bad this morning. So we took him off for a test and hopefully it's going to be all clear tomorrow when we get the result. But we do need to self-isolate until we get the result back. So this morning I was cursing this stupid coronavirus and uh, really frustrated but also been reminded in the last few hours of how God is at work. God is doing incredible things even through uh, something like the coronavirus. He's turning it for good and actually what we've got to do is make the very best of this. Keep pressing on, keep uh, pursuing God with all of our hearts and asking him what is it you're doing? How can I get uh, on board with that and do uh, what it is you're calling me to do and hopefully this morning uh, not this morning this afternoon um, you will uh, be helped uh, from Ephesians as we talk about that one of the things I've just been thinking about a lot is how this glorious book this letter written from Paul to the young church in Ephesus has been such a help and just reminding us of who we are in these days we were sinners but now we are saints it begins we were individuals but now we are part of Christ's body we were deserving of punishment but now we have received the mercy of God we were conflicted but now we have received the peace of God we were cursed but now we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. We were rejected, but now we are loved. We were spiritual orphans, but now we are adopted by God our Father. We were ruined, spiritually ruined, but now we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. We were guilty, oh, were we guilty, but now we have been totally forgiven. We were tired out by religious effort but now we have been lavished with God's grace we were insecure but now we have received this guarantee of the Holy Spirit we were spiritually bankrupt but now we have received the inheritance of Christ the Son of God we one day will lay claim of that we will enter into all the inheritance of the kingdom of God, of, of all the earth, of, of the heavens. We were without honour. But now we've been seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. We were toiling without meaning, but now we've been given good works to do with purpose. We were strangers, but now we've been brought near. We were purposeless, but now we have been given this glorious purpose of displaying God's grace in the ages to come. We were spiritually homeless, but now we are members of God's household. We couldn't pass through the curtain into the presence of God in the temple, but now we are the dwelling place of God. That is who we are. Paul is reminding the Ephesians, and, he, and God is reminding us now, that is who we are. 
We were all of those things. Dead. Individuals. On our own. Conflicted. Rejected. Guilty. Tired out. Insecure. Spiritually bankrupt. We were all of those things. But now. We are. All of these glorious things in the gospel. We are in Christ. As Paul says. Today. We're talking about relationships. And how we flourish in relationships. And really the way to flourishing in relationships. Is to exist in the most important one. Is to dwell whatever we're doing wherever we are whatever's going on in our lives dwell in that most important relationship that vertical relationship with God as we look to flourish in all of our horizontal relationships for our horizontal relationships to flourish we need to be constantly receiving life from that vertical relationship we've been given we're going to talk about two relationships or two different types of relationships today. Relationships in families and relationships in the workplace. Before we do, let me just read out our passage from Ephesians 6. And we're in verse 1 and we'll go through to the end of verse 9. It says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Family life can be tough. I remember sitting watching a sketch from Harry Enfield. Some of you will remember that. Uh, called Kevin and Perry. And I was sitting there watching it with my mum and dad. I don't think they had any idea of just how rude it was before we started watching it. And so uh, the scene starts with Kevin with his parents. And his parents are asking him to do some pretty reasonable things. Like, could you pass the salt or whatever? And he would just be so moody. What? That is so unfair. No, I hate you. I can't believe you. You're so selfish. And it would just go on like that. And the parents just look at each other like, what is going on? Our teenager is a monster. And he would just think life is so unfair and that they're just being so unreasonable. Then his friend, Perry, comes in. And uh, he's like, oh, yeah, what's up, Perry? Yeah, 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 yeah. Perry comes in. Kevin continues to be really moody, but then Perry is like ridiculously polite to Kevin's parents. He's like, yes, Mr. and Mrs. Patterson, I'm really sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Patterson. Of course I will, Mr. and Mrs. Patterson. Please may you pass me 
It was just ridiculous. And then Kevin picks up the phone landline, which starts ringing, shows you how long ago it was. And then uh, he calls over Perry, says, Perry, it's your mum. So Perry goes over. Remember, he's been like super polite. He gets on the phone. What? Oh, you're so embarrassing. No. Oh, oh, I can't believe you. Oh, I hate it. Oh, bye. And then he goes back over to Mr. and Mrs. Patterson. Thank you so much, Mr. and Mrs. Patterson. I really enjoyed my dinner. Thank you. That was really kind of you. I, I just, I'm just having to excuse myself now, if that's okay with you, because uh, my parents have requested that I come home. And me and my mom and dad are in stitches because we recognise something of our relationship. And it, okay, it's like really exaggerated. Don't worry, it was never that bad. But, man, like teenagers and their parents, it can be really tough. So let's just start there, that parenting can be really difficult. It's not an easy thing to do. And so children, teenagers, obey your parents and the Lord. Can we just start by saying, be kind to your parents? So if you're sat there and you're still at home and you're living with your parents, be kind to your parents. It's not easy. It hasn't been easy since you were born. They love you so much, but it's not easy. So please be kind to your parents. And actually, Paul says be kind to your parents, obey your parents, not because you're necessarily, he doesn't say necessarily that they're always going to be right. It doesn't say necessarily that they're always going to have what's best for you in mind, although I would imagine that most of them usually do. But because it's delegated authority from Jesus. So go all the way back to chapter 5, verse 21, where this section is introduced about relationships. And the reason we are to obey in these relationships, the reason that we are to do what God is asking us to do in these relationships, whether we are the ones doing the obeying or the instructing, is because we revere Jesus, we worship Jesus, we make much of him. This is a way of loving and of worshipping Jesus with everything that we've got. This is one way we can worship, is by obeying our parents. And then what Paul says is really interesting, he says that this uh, instruction to obey your mother and father was a command given with a promise. In fact, it was the first command given with a promise. And he's referring to one of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 12. Honour your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And there is wisdom here that is being given that it will go well with you if you obey your parents. Now, this promise is not an equation but it, it is a principle that is true. Now, I think back to when I was a kid and when I was a teenager, and I think, man, if I'd listened to my parents, I, I would have had so many more opportunities in life. I would have probably done a lot better um, in, around my exams and education and that kind of thing, but also in other things that I would have got lots of enjoyment out of, like music and, and other things, or even just the way that I treated people. If I'd listened to my parents about how you treat people, maybe I wouldn't have gotten some of the sticky messes that I've gotten in my life at different points. If I'd learned those traits early on and just been more obedient to my mum and dad and done what they'd asked me to do, it would have gone better for me. I'm thankful that I had really good parents 
and that there is so much that I was able to learn and, and do and become because of them. And you can't really separate who you are from who your parents are for all kinds of reasons, but, but particularly because actually when you go on in life, much of the way in you, which you can enjoy life and, and get on with life and who you are and your character is shaped by what your parents have done in your early years. And so if you're a teenager out there and you're listening to this, listen, it, it's actually good for you. The principle here is it's good for you to be obedient, to get in line with what your mum and dad are saying while you live under their roof. Get in line. Now, this promise relates back to the land. So you, you might have noticed that, that in Exodus 20, it's not honour and father your mother so that you can enjoy long life on the earth. It's a bit more than that, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And there's a difference here with what Paul says and what he's referring back to in the Ten Commandments because in the Ten Commandments, there's a principle here for the kingdom being lived out through the land that they were promised. And that when they got into this land teeming with milk and honey, which was to reflect Eden, this pre-fall place of perfection and of life where life was good and relationships were right, that represented the fruitfulness that they were looking to achieve in the land. And really what that kingdom was about and what that land was about was a much much greater kingdom. It pointed forward to a kingdom that now Jesus has brought and he has started and is advancing on this earth through people like me. And you think back to what we are now in Jesus. And that is what we are called to work out, to bring this life, this, this land, if you like, that's teeming with milk and honey in a symbolic way through our relationships and through the way that we live and through the way that we uh, do things day to day and how we worship God and the way that we live. It's not worship isn't just for Sundays or Monday nights. It is for life and we are to worship and revere Christ through our relationships. So again, it comes back to this vertical relationship being of primary importance and living in the kingdom for the king and then seeing the blessing of that in the way that we do our relationships with each other. So if you want this fruitfulness, you've got to start with Jesus and his kingdom fruit. Now let's just be clear that one of the things that we may not notice about this, because we think about ourselves in such individualistic terms, is that there is an honour your father and mother that continues after you leave home. And I think that's a really important thing to say for us. So for me, who's been out of my mum and dad's primary care, been out of their household for, uh, I don't know now, like 15 years, maybe more than that, 20 years. What age am I? No, not 20 years. Yeah, about 15, 16, 17 years, something like that. Even for me, this... I need to listen to this. I need to go, okay, well, how do I honour my father and mother now? How do I actually, even as if they get older or as they get older, how do I start thinking about how I care for them well in the same way that they have cared well for me? And more importantly, the way that 
God the Father has cared for me. And that's how we should think as parents. So I'm just going to move on now and address us as parents, okay? So adults. Psalm 127 uh, verse 3 says this, children are a gift from God. And that's what we should have in mind as Paul says, don't exasperate. (laughs) Do not make this more difficult. Don't make this hard for your kids because you're pushing them to a point where they're exasperated with you. Don't treat your kids with harshness. Jesus said anyone who harms little children should have a millstone put around their neck and chucked over the side of a boat, essentially. He also says, let the little children come to me. We shouldn't be tyrannical and overstrict. Let's not focus on punishment, but who is it that these people are going to be? Who is it our children are going to become? How are we helping them to be more like Jesus? And really that is ultimately what we're looking to do. And so that means that we need to be thinking about the father's relationship with the son and with us. So how is it that the father treats us? Well, think maybe back to the prodigal son story. Terry Virgo brought this up the other night. I loved it. If you're running grace communities and listen to what he said. The prodigal son is coming home after partying and squandering his, mo- his father's money and doing all kinds of sinful stuff and coming back disgraced and full of shame and all that kind of stuff, the father doesn't immediately think he needs punishment. He needs sorting out. He doesn't think that. He thinks, this is my son and whom I love and I want to demonstrate that love. And so he runs towards his son. He grabs hold of his son and he kisses his neck and he he just lavishes him with his love. So we as parents need to be first known for our gentle love, for our kindness towards our kids. And our kids should be in no doubt of our love. John Calvin said, let them be fondly cherished. Love that. And then it goes on, Paul goes on, says that this training and instruction is of the Lord. Now this training and instruction is It's to say that every part of your child you're responsible for when you're bringing them up. And you should be thinking, how is it that I'm making them, helping them to walk in the ways of the Lord? Instruction literally means put in minds. What is it that we are putting into the minds of our children? What are we letting them watch? What are we reading to them? Is there Bible content there? Is there uh, content that helps our, uh, our, our kids to know who Jesus is, who, to uh, know what he would act like in certain situations, to know how he would deal with difficult situations? Do we do that kind of thing? And do we speak directly about those things? What rhythms and habits are we putting in place? How are we helping them to see and know what it is to live like Jesus in this world? We need to avoid child-led parenting like the plague. I know it's kind of in vogue in many different forms, but I think it's disastrous. 
I think what it's doing is it's reacting to harsh parenting and maybe some of the parenting that uh, of, of old was and, and in the past was, was maybe a bit unhelpful. But it's not like, hey, do what you like or let's cane every child all the time and just punish them all the time. That's not, what, that's not what's going on. Guys, we need to recognise that the reality is that this kind of do-what-you-like type parenting is increasingly causing obesity in our kids in this country. And let's be honest, so many kids are just like in a trance right now because they're so used to just having a device in front of their faces. Like, they just go everywhere with a device. And they're just watching something or doing something on a device the whole time. We need to put boundaries in place. Boundaries in place so they're not snacking all the time. Boundaries in place so that they're not watching stuff all the time, but they're actually learning to interact with real people. And there are all kinds of boundaries we need to put in place. Hebrews 12, verse five, verses 5 and 6 says this, Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as father, a father addresses his son? It says... And this is a proverb, says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. As a student, I worked in a pretty notorious part of Glasgow doing some youth work in the evenings and there was all kinds of things going on that were just crazy. But it wasn't... They were, these things weren't taking place. It wasn't territorial gangs and knife crime and alcohol and drugs and all kinds of other major problems purely because these kids were somehow bad. No, like it, it was to do with the parental cultures around them. It was to do with community and how community loved. It was to do with um, neglect. It was to do with uh, overly harsh parenting. It was even to do with things like abuse. And so we need to be, we need to think that way when it comes to young people and to, to children and to, to realise that actually what we're putting in to these kids will come out in all kinds of different ways. The Bible doesn't say that we shouldn't put boundaries in place. The Bible doesn't say um, that we should be harsh and really strict the bible says that we should be loving gently like jesus loves us like the father loves us with grace but also with discipline and with boundaries in place but although i'm talking about boundaries a lot i just want to be really clear that kids pushing boundaries can be good be a good thing. In fact, if your kid is mindlessly compliant, then perhaps your kids aren't being given the opportunity to be kids. Yes, we parent the child, but within that, always remember, it's not about the punishment, it's not about the boundaries, it's about helping these people, these young people, flourish and become Christ-like in who they are. Now this week, smacking became illegal in Scotland. It finally came through. And there are all kinds of things that I could say about this. Now what 
many Christians would say is, well, you take Proverbs, like uh, we see in 22 and 23, Proverbs 22 and 23, about not withholding the discipline of the rod. We say, well, actually the Bible says that we should be disciplining kids physically. But I think that actually that's wisdom literature. And the principle here is to set boundaries. Discipline uh, should be in place. And that if there are, if, if our kids are stepping out of those boundaries, they do need to be disciplined. Of course they do. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we need to smack or use other kinds of physical uh, discipline. I think that should be up to the conscience of the parent, not the government. And my fear here is that the government is overreaching here with laws to the point that we could end up with some excellent parents who have chosen to use that kind of discipline um, who, who are under the eye of the government, who are under close scrutiny or, or much worse, could even end up losing kids and all that kind of thing. And I just think, wow, that, how did we get there? That's far too much government intervention. It's different. We're not talking about abuse here. We're just talking We're talking about parents who might choose to discipline their kids through smacking. And in a generation from almost, you know, the vast majority of parents smacking to it's totally banned, the government have stepped in, seems crazy to me. But I would say this. If you think you're ever going to smack out of anger, just don't do it find other ways to employ the same principles. We have to say that we are not going to smack um, and use other principles for discipline and setting boundaries. But listen, I think this should be about the conscience of the family and I think the, the government are overreaching here. The thing I want to be really clear about here with parenting is that this is not about raising piano-playing, bilingual brain surgeons called Farquhar. This is about raising your kids in the ways of Jesus. That's why it says, of the Lord. How Jesus was to children, that's what we want to be towards our kids. And we want to be people who are looking to shape culture, who are looking to shape our families, who are looking to shape those around us through Christ-like ways. And so what we're really looking for here is to bring when we say bring children up in the Lord, we mean help them to know and love the ways of Jesus. For our horizontal relationships to flourish, we need to be constantly receiving life from our vertical relationships. Now, I wanted to deal mostly with families this morning, but I do want to deal with workplaces as well. Now, first thing we've got to say about workplaces is that this uh, language here that Paul gives is hard to read. And we need to work out what is it that he's talking about because he says that it's about slaves and masters. So first, slavery, what is it? Well, it's not God-given. Okay, and I just want to be really clear about that. And Paul actually doesn't uh, say that this is okay. He, he doesn't condemn it in this passage, but he actually does condemn it elsewhere. In 1 Timothy 1, he condemns enslavers. And then in 1 Corinthians 7, he says that if a slave has a chance to be free, they should take it. But also, I want to be clear with you that this is not the type of slavery that we might imagine. This isn't like 
West African slave trade. This kind of slavery is actually more like what we saw in the 18th and 19th centuries in Scotland. If you went to a big house, say you went to Pollock House or somewhere like that, you would see that there are bells in those big houses and um, they were bells that were used so that the servants would be able to respond to whatever need is going on in the house at the time. And so you would have cooks and you would have uh, porters and you would have all kinds of people doing all kinds of different jobs, maids, all kinds of people who were helping to make that house function. And in many ways, that is the kind of thing that we see here. It's, it's not quite that, it's a little bit more than that because there was a price to pay that was being paid off by uh, being bound to this family, to this household, and you could try and pay, pay it off by working for so many years and then you could be set free and be given that opportunity like it's talked about in 1 Corinthians 7 to be freed. Um, but it's certainly not West African uh, kind of slavery. It's certainly not sex worker type slavery, slavery that we see today. Um, it is a different type of slavery. Think Downton Abbey much more than those types of slavery. But it is helpful for us to apply it to our relationships at work today about how staff and management interact. Now, some of you have had tyrants for bosses and uh, they've just, they just really love the power. But the reality check on this is that they are no more impressive than David Brent was in his character in The Office. I once had a, a boss who um, was terrified of his boss. He was my pal most of the time, my boss, and, and he kind of loved everything I did until his boss was upset at him and then he would just blame everything on me. He would even badmouth me and, and it just felt so unfair. Some of you have terrible bosses, much worse than any of my experiences. But verse 5 says, Obey not because your boss is swell, not because your boss is amazing and makes all the right decisions, because you're, but because you're obedient to Jesus. And then verses 6 and 7 say, look, you shouldn't even obey only when your boss is looking, not when their eye is on you, not just when their eye is on you, but, but all the time. And there should be some real integrity about the way in which you work. I remember when I was working in a, a call centre, selling loans, uh, when I was trying to just save up for Lindsay and I getting married. And um, we had a great manager, he was pretty good um, in our little team. But as soon as he disappeared, the rest of us would just start messing about. We'd start throwing things at each other and trying to distract each other on calls. And uh, the food would come in and all that kind of thing. Oh, he's away for the day, right, let's get food in and do all that kind of stuff. And it was really, there was not much integrity about that, about the way that we did that. Because it was really just, when he's there, we'll behave. When he's not, we'll do what we like. And um, we definitely didn't work as hard. So Paul is saying, no, don't be like that. Be the type of person who works wholeheartedly, keeps working hard, not because you're a people pleaser, but because you are someone who is pleasing God in the way that you work. It... Um, it says in verse 7, serve wholeheartedly as if working for the Lord. So I know some of you have really difficult working situations. Some of you 
have bosses that are really tyrannical, really. Some of you have bosses that don't put any structures in place at all, and so actually it's carnage, and it's difficult to know how to work. But here's the thing to remember for you, day in and day out. Work as if you're working for Jesus. Work as if that boss of yours is, is Jesus. If he was, how would you work for him? You know, the, the one you love the most, the one who is king of the universe, how would you work for him if he were your direct boss? Well, Paul is saying, look, he kind of is because this is all delegated authority anyway. Work as if Jesus is in the room. And by the way, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is. And so as we work, we need to remember we are working for God. And that comes back to how Paul begins the section back in verse 21. Worship Jesus by the way in which you work. Now your work itself, unless it's sinful, in which case you shouldn't do it, you should get another job, unless it's sinful, is actually full of meaning and purpose because of this. What Paul is saying here is that your work in itself has value but because it is worship, because Jesus has given you it to do. And in it, there is this glorious, eternal purpose of worshipping the Lord. That is what all the earth is made to do, is to worship God. That is what every creature, that is what every molecule, every single thing upon this earth and throughout the universe is designed to bring glory to God. And your work is at the heart of how you can do that. Think of how many hours you spend working. Now, I'm not just talking working in, work, uh, in a working environment, um, you know, with a, uh, with a boss and management, all that kind of thing. You could be a stay-at-home mom. You could be a student. You could be whatever. What is it you're working at? Work at it with all your heart, with everything you've got, because you are worshipping Jesus in it. You're working for him and his glory. That means there's eternal purpose in doing the daft things that you have to do even in your work. It might even just be organizing paper clips, doing printing for someone who does obscene amounts of printing about things that you don't even think matter. You do that to the glory of God and it has so much eternal worth. Do that with all you have. You are made to work. And remember, in Eden, Adam and Eve were given a mandate to have Eden spread its borders, essentially. To be fruitful and multiply, which meant more than having children and building communities. It was, it was about working the land. It was about work. It was going to take work to do to build those communities and to uh, be fruitful and to have everything they needed for life. And work has a purpose that is God-given. So even when your work seems stupid and pointless, God is in it. You can worship him and it has in itself value. The one that we are made to worship will, according to Paul, come and bring justice for all that has been done on the earth. And this is where I want us to finish. 
to see that in verses 8 and 9, that those of us who are working and in working situations, whatever that is, we are all going to be judged fairly by Jesus in the end. Judged and rewarded. Whether you're a manager, whether you are the CEO, whether you are bottom of the ladder, doing a skivvy job, all of us are going to be judged by what we do and how we do it. So might I say that it is actually vital that you don't skive and that you don't work to please people but that you work to the glory of God because one day you will have to answer to that. Every single one of us, workers, bosses. Guys, I hope that's been helpful. Here's the one thing that I just want us to remember. This whole thing is about this. Our horizontal relationships will only flourish as we constantly are receiving life from our vertical relationships. Let that vertical relationship be the motivation for every relationship you have. Let it be the inspiration for every relationship that you have. Father God, thank you that we get the opportunity to worship you, honour you, love you, be obedient to you, work hard for you through our horizontal relationships. The relationships we have at work, the relationships we have at uni, the relationships we have in the family. Come Lord Jesus, transform our horizontal relationships by this one glorious relationship we have with you. In Jesus, your holy name. Amen. Bless you guys. Hope you enjoy the rest of this afternoon's meeting. And again, ah, so gutty for not with you. But enjoy. <laughs>